In this episode, boys intern Ellie Yang sits down with Sherry DiBosio, the founder of a sustainable luxury magazine, Elux. In part one of this interview, Ellie and Cher discuss the origin story behind Elux, the changing interactions between the brand giants and the rising indie brands, what it means to be truly sustainable, the link between sustainability and vegan fashion, and the popularity behind fast fashion. Um, so hi everybody, I'm Cher DiWalsio, I'm the owner and editor-in-chief of Elux magazine. Um, I started Lux about seven years ago, I suppose, and that was a reaction to having worked as a fashion editor for many big French glossy magazines. Um, when I, well, not just French. <clears throat> I was working on a Dubai-based magazine, London magazines, Paris-based magazines, and almost all of them in the luxury realm were really featuring products that I started to question um, things like, you know, conventionally mined diamonds or fur fashion. Um, and I just thought, you know what, I know how bad these things are for the environment. Why are we tooting them as being, you know, so luxurious and so desirable when they have such a terrible impact on the planet? We should actually be telling people like, wow, that's a huge diamond. Do you know the impact that had on the planet instead of like, oh, what a beautiful diamond. Are you engaged? That's wonderful. Like, Mm. <laughs> so I thought, okay, I'm going to look for a magazine that's more eco-friendly, but also, you know, I had a lot of contacts in the luxury industry and that's what I knew. So I couldn't find a magazine that was eco-friendly and luxurious. So I decided just to start my own and to use the contacts I had to launch the magazine. So um, I did that. And it wasn't that easy because um, because it was a new magazine. All the contacts I had at Stella McCartney or you know Gucci or beauty brands like Miranda Kerr's, Cora Organics, you know they were not so sure about advertising or working with a brand new magazine. So then I realized, okay, I'm going to have to start with the smaller brands, and I'm just going to promote them for free for the first year. So that's what I did. And I build relationships with smaller brands. And still today, I prefer to promote those smaller brands. So, you know, like the brand giants, they have very solid like customer base. So they might not be worried about like losing the customer. And sometimes, you know, when we see like a diamond, we don't realize like what's behind the whole process. It's not just like a diamond. You see it's the whole industry the manufacturing process all the way to who works it so yeah it's a like a close loop behind like a small diamond you see absolutely but i think even those heritage brands are being forced to rethink their strategy because yes they might have you know a large customer base for now but especially generation z and millennials they're starting to really question like do i want to buy this brand when i know they're using slave labor or when i know their products are not equal uh eco-friendly when i also know there are smaller brands that are so i was amazed at the growth the organic growth of the sustainable fashion and beauty industry from when i started this magazine i guess 2013 so you know seven years ago plus um consumer attitudes have really changed a lot. And even if a brand says, you know, oh, we're super eco-friendly because we do X, Y, Z, especially the younger generation is extremely savvy. And they're saying, 
yeah, we know you do X, Y, Z, but we also know that you were fined by whatever governing body last year X million dollars because you were using slave labor illegally or because you polluted this river and had to clean it up. You know, they're really on the ball. So I think those legacy brands are actually now rethinking what they're doing in terms of business. They're also snapping up a lot of um, the independent beauty brands and fashion brands. Um, and that leads to another issue, you know, like if you are, for example, really against S.A. Lauder because they use so many chemicals and they're such a nasty brand, um, what do you do when they buy something like Origins, which is, you know, an organic brand? Um, or if, for example, there's a really fabulous vegan brand you love and it gets bought out by a big company like L'Oreal that's still doing animal testing, for example. Um, so you really need to watch out when you love a little brand and that gets snapped up by a bigger brand, you have to think, oh my goodness, this is still as ethical a brand as I thought it was. So consumers are aware of these issues and they are really becoming more vigilant. I'm really impressed actually at the comments that we get on the luck sometimes. People are really getting more intelligent about what's going on in the market. Yeah, consumers definitely make a huge impact. Actually, Voice is taking a similar approach, like by working with indie brands. So we would start by like partnering with small brands. And then, you know, once we make that small change, bigger brands will see, okay, well, you know, the small brands are shifting this way. If we want to get like competitive, let's do that as well. And the consumers will be like, like, you know, get to know, okay, here are some new choices we have. And they would definitely make more sustainable shopping decisions compared to, you know, if they don't have these options. Actually, you know, in terms of beauty brands, I'm seeing some brands like 100% Pure or Juice Beauty that are actually in some senses overtaking the legacy brands. Um, you know, like who's going to buy like a Bobbi Brown lipstick, you know, if they're really into sustainability, they're going to go straight to Juice Beauty. And it used to be that the cosmetics brands in particular dominated the department stores. So you want a lipstick, you're going to go to the department store, you're going to see what's available at the counter and you're going to buy something. But now so many people are online, they're like, I'm not going to go to Harrods or to Neyman Marcus or whatever, I'm going to just shop online and I'm going to get the organic lipstick. So it doesn't, the, the whole um, supply chain of how things used to work is changing. And at one point, you had to have amazing connections with buyers to get your brand in a major shop. And now those major shops are closing down. You know, they, they, the high street is changing. So people are just shopping online and it's like, hey, if you've got an amazing tiny beauty brand that I've heard about from, I don't know, Lux Magazine or whatever, and I can just order it online, I'm going to do that instead of going to the department store. So that's a really beautiful thing because those smaller brands, seven years ago even, were begging me, like, please, can you get our word out about our brand to the public? because we don't know any buyers that are going to carry this, that are going to snap it up. And now they don't even need those buyers. <laughs> they just, you know, communicate well on social media about their brand and voila, they've got a consumer base. Yay. Yeah. Internet, <laughs> like social media really changed like, like conventional shopping. So like you don't need like a traditional department store, you know, to spread the word of a brand. Yeah. That totally makes a difference. So how would you determine if a product is sustainable? So like specifically, like what kind of criteria would you look at? 
That's a really hard question because there's never any such thing as a truly sustainable brand, right? Mm-hmm. You know, there's always something that you can criticize. Um, but overall, you know, if a brand is marketing itself as being sustainable, for me, that means number one, obviously they have to have factories or workplaces that are clearly not sweatshops. So that's cri- one, you know, criteria number one. And then, okay, let's say they're making some product that's definitely not in a sweatshop. Well, what's it made from? Um, so for me, the materials should be either upcycled or recycled or completely natural, like organic cotton, linen, hemp, something like that. And of course, it shouldn't, for me, involve any animal cruelty. So we used to cover leather. Um, and now I've kind of shifted away from that because there have been so many innovations with alternative materials that I'm thinking, you know, upcycled leather, I don't really have a problem with that. Like my handbag actually is made from the car seats of a car from the 1960s and it's leather. But, you know, it's really cool because, you know, that car was just trashed. So, you know, they saved the leather and some other parts of the car. So if it's like recycled like that, I don't really have a problem with it. But when brands tell me, oh, it's good leather because it's organically tanned or something like that, I'm like, oh, but a cow just died for that. So I don't know if that's a good idea. So I don't really cover that type of material and I don't consider it to be sustainable. Um, But yeah, I mean, these days it's becoming a lot easier because of more transparency on brands' websites. So I do check them out. Um, before we will publish. Some, I mean, are more eco-friendly and ethical than others, like Reformation, for example. I love Reformation. I love their style. I love their dresses. Um, But recently, I just heard some complaints about abuse in their factories. Apparently, the owner is not a nice lady at all. And she would go around in the factories and people would be like, hi, I'm the lady who works for you doing this, this, this. And she's like, I don't give a crap, you know, just kind of treating people badly. So that got reported. But for me, it was like, you know what? I worked at Dior in Paris, okay? If you want to talk about bitchiness levels, like they were off the charts. Like every day there'd be like people in tears. (laughs) And I have lots of friends that work in fashion in Paris. And like, it is a nasty ass industry. You know, like it's just insanely nasty. It's absolutely packed with highly neurotic insecure weird people (laughs) so you know when i heard that she was kind of mean to the people in the factory i was like "Mm, well welcome to the world of fashion right not that that's okay but you know it's not exactly a sweatshop just because she wasn't nice to you it doesn't mean you know you don't get breaks you're working 18 hour days and you know there's no bathroom or whatever yeah i mean things like that come up all the time and so like what you talk about like translate very well into you know what voice think so voice uh we rate our sustainability into three categories so who makes it you mentioned it like the employees and then you know how the products are made and then thirdly you know what's the product made of so the materials and also you mentioned like being like animal cruelty free there's yeah. a term called vegan fashion. Do you want to define it in your own words? And then, you know, what alternatives do we have, you know, being cruel, animal cruelty free? 
Well, vegan fashion, by definition, it's not just that there is a vegan material being used. Like, for example, there are a lot of cheap brands that are using, you know, plastic or whatever, and they are using glue maybe to make a shoe or something. And that glue is probably containing animal parts. So that would not be considered a vegan product. So a vegan product um, has to have every single component made from non-animal materials. Um, and it's interesting because now it's super fashionable, but, you know, vegan materials have been around since forever. You know, there are plant-based materials that have been sturdy, that have been used for hundreds and hundreds of years, like hemp, for example, organic cotton. And actually, you know, we're using leather mainly for accessories, right? Like um, handbags or shoes. So the material has to be quite durable. Um, plastic, for me, it just doesn't cut it. Um, because it tends to peel or it tends to get nicked um, and rip and it's not always the best material. Some brands are using um, PU which is kind of a form of plastic. Um, it's a petrol based material. It's not the most eco-friendly. It is really really durable um, so that's good because accessories made from PU can last forever. But I prefer those vegan products that are made from natural materials, like for example, um, waxed organic cotton, um, like canvas. It's super strong to the point where you can use it for shoes. Um, or, you know, my running shoes, for example, they're partly for the oceans by Adidas, and it's recycled plastic. So I'm actually not really a big advocate of recycled plastic in fashion, because every time you wash it, you're essentially creating microparticles, right, of plastic that go into the water system. But you don't wash shoes, right? Um, so I've, I've never washed my running shoes, I don't think. Um, so I kind of like that they're made from recycled plastic. And I think that's a really good use of recycled plastic. And the same, I guess, for bags, because you're not washing your bag. And recycled, some recycled plastics are very, very strong. So that's okay, um, in my opinion, if it's all recycled. Um, but yeah, there are more vegan materials like Pinatex that are coming out. And yes, it uses a thin layer of plastic, but um, a lot of brands are phasing that out. Um, there's also leather made from apples, from all kinds of food waste, um, coconut fiber. There's one brand I met in Thailand that really impressed me because they're actually making vegan bags from those enormous lotus leaves. And the bags are gorgeous. And you'd think like a lotus leaf is not very strong, but you'd be surprised. Yeah. It's super durable. Um, wow. So there are a lot of really innovative fabrics coming around. There's really no excuse anymore to use polluting, crappy, brand new petrol-based fabrics for vegan products. So I think the image of vegan fashion is going from kind of just plasticky garbage to something very high-end and very sustainable. And that's really great. Yeah, I totally agree with that. You know, like, as a company, you have so many choices. You can be vegan, like, without harming, you know, animals. There are always options to do that. But, like, whether you make that choice is up to you. And customers will know if you're aware of, you know, being vegan and sustainable. So speaking of vegan, so do you think vegan translate into sustainable? Like if a product is vegan, does it say it's, you know, 
it's definitely sustainable or it's definitely ethical? No, we have to be very careful of that. There's so much greenwashing going on. Um, like vegan cosmetics, for example, you can have a cosmetic that has absolutely zero animal products in it, but it can be absolutely packed with crappy chemicals. And they sell that like, oh, we're a vegan friendly brand. And it's like, yeah, but every single ingredient in that cosmetic is really bad for my health. So that's greenwashing, number one. And then, of course, there's the plasticky vegan crap that is just cheap, brand new plastic that sells itself as vegan because there's no animal parts in it. Well, that's greenwashing too because, okay, it's just plastic though. <laughs> it's really bad for the environment. It's not even like upcycled plastic or anything like that. So there is a lot of um, greenwashing in fashion and cosmetics, but even in food, I mean, this just blows my mind because a vegan diet is super easy. It's just a plant-based diet, right? And there's a bazillion different kinds of protein sources you can get from, you know, legumes to uh, tofu, you know, there's, there's all kinds of protein. I, I've been, you know, pretty close to vegan all my life and I've never had a problem with protein. In fact, you know, I think I'm really pretty darn healthy. Um, but now there's like lab grown vegan meats that are just disgusting. I mean, what is the point of that? If you want a vegan hamburger, like make one out of lentils or something, you know, so that's another greenwash because they're saying, oh, we're saving animals' lives by creating this hamburger in a laboratory. It's like, yeah, you can also save animals' lives by having a lentil burger, <laughs> you know, so <laughs> there is so much greenwashing. It just blows my mind. And we really need to be careful of that because it's becoming trendy now to be a vegan. So a lot of not eco-friendly brands are just saying, yeah, buy us because we're vegan. We didn't kill animals for this. I mean, let's face it, most products don't kill animals, really, unless you're like a shoe or bag brand. So we have to really be vigilant. But the good thing is, you know, as I said, consumers today are very vigilant. And they're not dumb. They're not going to buy it, I don't think. Yeah, they're very critical and very careful with their choices. Because, you know, like internet has spread the word. So there's so many like options out there. So if a brand doesn't do its job, other brands will step in. And then, you know, if they're more and sustainable, consumers will definitely choose them. You've also got, you know, things like voice, right, that are kind of uh, creating a new criteria for what it means to be eco-friendly or vegan. So there's more and more scrutiny, which is a good thing. Yeah. Also, you talk about, um, you know, durability. So, you know, if a product like how long it can last it's actually there's a word called fast fashion so you know there are brands that intentionally make their products that don't last very long so like consumers can constantly you know update their wardrobe and then you know buy new clothes or bags and that just <laughs> i know yeah. believe me living in london i was surrounded by fast fashion brands but it's a really interesting phenomenon because i've noticed um, the fast fashion brands, they mainly appeal to really, really young people. You know, I'm talking like preteens. And I think that's because to a large extent, number one, they're still growing. So they don't care if something doesn't last forever because, you know, they're going to be a bit taller or a bit wider in a couple of years. And also they're exploring their identity to a large extent. So, you know, they're trying out one fashion this year and maybe next year that doesn't really speak to who they are. 
So I think that's kind of the market for fast fashion mainly. And unfortunately, I don't really see that going away or changing too much um, just because the nature of adolescence is so ungrounded, let's say, maybe. You know, when you're like 11 or 12, you don't really know what your style is. So yeah, you're, you're kind like of constantly changing. changing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's always changing. Your body's changing. You know, so I, I think that market will always exist. But that being said, you know, Gen X is getting much more political in a sense. So even the younger people, like, you know, 13, 14 year olds, 15 year olds, they are now questioning, like, okay, I really want that t shirt because it's kind of gothic or whatever the way I feel this year. But, you know, I know it's made in a sweatshop and that's not cool. So maybe I should ask my mom if she'll pay a bit more for this shirt from this other brand that is equally gothic, but more ethical. So that's changing a little bit, but I still think that that's quite a niche market. 